So in 31 years of marriage, Beth and I just celebrated our 31st anniversary, we, you develop habits, you know, you, you get through patterns. <clears throat> and Beth loves this show called NCIS. How many people like NCIS? A lot of people in America do because it's the number one scripted show. Uh, it has been for several years now. Uh, she likes the show because of the, the character development and how they have humor. In fact, she's still in mourning over Dinozo. Anybody else in mourning Dinozo? <laughs> Yeah, I see. Yeah, you know, and then he went to a show called Bull, which is not so good. Uh, I don't need to be talking about TV shows, okay? You didn't come here for a TV review, but here's what I want to tell you. We watch that show, and Tuesday night I'm usually working, so we usually watch it on demand later in the week. And here's how it goes. We watch the show, it gets started, and inevitably there's a murder and there's a body, and that body is taken to the morgue, the downstairs basement morgue of NCIS, and Ducky the coroner, works on the body, and I, I forget my role every time. Beth and I are watching it together, and they cut to that shot, you know, where they show the, the gruesomeness of the body, and I'm supposed to tell Beth not to look before they cut to it. And I always forget. Yeah, it's, You're supposed to tell me not to look. I'd be like, oh, I forgot. I was getting into the show. Uh, she doesn't want to see that stuff. I think today the sermon maybe should come with a disclaimer uh, that... Uh, if you need to know that there may be some sh- disturbing uh, images, you may you think about some things that aren't the most pleasant to think about, but I think we really do need to think about them. We need to think about the body of Christ. Because, yes, he did die and was buried. Oftentimes we just skip right over that when we're thinking about what happened that week. But I think it's very instructive, very powerful. There's a transformation that goes on in these short verses, John 19, 38 to 42. There's a transformation that goes on in a couple of guys that I think can happen in us. I think can make us different going forward than we were as we walked in here today. And so we're going to do that together. Now, I want to read the whole story, and then I'm going to come back and, and talk to you about individual verses, okay? This is John again, John 19, 38 to 42. Now, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was a Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. As this passage begins you see some fearful, fearful following. You see some furtive following. I like that word furtive. It kind of sounds like what it is. It means people that sneak around, people that are covert, people that uh, like spies. They don't want anybody to know what they're doing. And, and that's kind of what we see. Now, there are two personalities here that we don't talk about so much in church. Uh, Nicodemus a little more than Joseph, but Joseph we don't see anywhere else. Joseph of Arimathea, and you see here, John identifies, remember we're talking about the life of Jesus through the eyes of John, we're talking about his eyewitness account, 
Joseph here is given this description. He was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. That's important for us to understand. That's important for us to see. Now, what do you know about Joseph? Well, all the gospel writers talk about him, but they give us a little different flavor in each one. Matthew 27, 57 says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, a rich man, a wealthy man, named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And then Mark says it a little differently. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. We're going to come back to that scripture, but what I want you to see is it identifies Joseph as a prominent member of the council. So we know for Matthew he's wealthy. We know here that he's part of the group of 70. He's part of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And he's a, a very prominent person. He's a very powerful politician. He has standing in the community. Everybody looks up to him. So you need to hear that. He's rich. He's prominently political or politically prominent. Okay? And then Luke says it this way. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright. Some versions say a righteous, a good and righteous man who had not consented for their, or to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he's wealthy, he's politically prominent, and now he's described by Luke as a good and righteous or good and upright man. So all of that for you to know, Joseph was trying to do his best. Joseph was trying to live in the right way. And he probably had helped a lot of people. But, and it is a huge but, Joseph was a disciple but secretly. Anytime you see in the Bible that conjunction, but it's usually important for you to see the contrast. And especially here. Now, what is a disciple? You, you should know if you've been coming here for a while because that's our mission. Our mission is to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. Uh, now, their ways of learning were different than ours. You know, today uh, we get people and we bring them to school. We bring them to a class and we watch uh, somebody. We used to, in the 20th century, somebody write on the chalkboard. But now, you know, uh, whatever goes with the iPads and the technology. But in their time, you actually would go walk with somebody. You'd go follow somebody. You'd go live life with somebody. And in those moments of everyday life, teachable moments... You would learn how to emulate that person. So that's why the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, they were with Jesus three years, day and night. They walked around with him learning how to be members of the kingdom. Now, here we see Joseph is a disciple, but secretly. And I'll come back to that. The second personality you see here is Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus we meet in John chapter 3. We know he was a Pharisee. And we know he came to Jesus secretly at night. Why? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of the Jewish leaders. He was afraid for his position. If it became known that he was a disciple, he was a follower of Jesus, then he might have been 
booted from the role of Pharisee. He might have been cast out of the synagogue. Uh, We see Nicodemus in John chapter 3, but in particular, I want you to see what happens in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, beginning with verse 48. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. What's happening here is the Pharisees are debating about Jesus. And some of the Pharisees want to do something drastic to him. Some of them want to kill him. But no, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? In other words, he's sticking up for Jesus. He's reminding them of their own law that he should be able to have a defense, uh, that we shouldn't just rush to judgment, right? Because he secretly is a disciple. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of little backwater, little small town country, Galilee. Not going to happen. As the young people today say, burn. And Nicodemus just zips it. But Brady actually told me it's not burn anymore, it's roasted. Okay? So it's hard to keep up with young people, knowing what's the right term, right? But you see here, Nicodemus tries. He makes a half-hearted effort to stand up for Jesus, and he is shot down. Not only these two, but other disciples had the same fearful problem, the same furtive following because they were afraid. You see about other disciples, John chapter 12, verse 42, it says this, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, so other Jewish leaders. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And listen to this, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. One of my theme verses is Galatians 1.10. It's Paul writing, and he writes rhetorically. He says, uh, are you trying to please God, or are you trying to please men? I'm a people pleaser by birth. It is my nature uh, to want to get along, to want there not to be controversy and, and argument, for there not to be, uh, you know, uh, who doesn't like popularity, right? But here... These disciples are quiet because they want human praise more than praise from God. So today, I might ask you, do you desire praise from God more than praise from people? John 20, 19 says, on the evening of the first day of the week, now these are the guys that spent three years day and night with him. When the disciples were together with this little explanatory phrase with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You might remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. After the events of the Holy Week had turned ugly and after the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, no one stands with him. They're all furtive followers. Here's the question. I want for you to think about this week. Well, let me say the first question. I have another one later. What frightens you about following Jesus? What frightens you? Maybe in your workplace, and understand, I'm sensitive that you live in a different world than I do. But but at the same time, uh, my vocation is 
standing for Christ. And I've told you before, I will say again, our culture is increasingly hostile toward people of faith, people of, that are following Christ. If you do that at work, what will it cost you? Maybe because it would be detrimental to your relationship, or at least you think, with your boss or with others, maybe you're afraid. How about at school? If you stood up and talked about Christ, if when people were using foul language or talking about uh, wrong thing, pornographic things, if you stood up and maybe said, that's not how we should live, that's not the best way, what, what would people say? Maybe you're quiet because you're afraid. How about at the gym? Are you standing up for Christ? How about at your family gatherings? Maybe you know if you stand up for Christ, then it's going to lead to an argument or people making fun of you, and so you're quiet. If people looked at your social media interaction, they would see what you're afraid of. They would see what you really believe in. If all of your life you looked at it for the evidence of what you believed and what you were really for, could you be convicted of being a passionate follower of Christ? What frightens you about following Jesus? To this point, Joseph and Nicodemus heard what Jesus preached. They saw him heal. They saw him do miracles. And in secret, they believed. In secret, they had faith. But something snaps at the cross. It's kind of ironic, really. It's strange, really. I mean, all that time, Joseph could have said, I don't care what people think. I stand up and believe in Jesus. But no, it's only after he's dead that Joseph and Nicodemus come forward. It's only then that they stand up and said, yes, I'm all in. You see, they move from furtive following. They move in this passage to fearless faithfulness. Fearless faithfulness. And I say, if they did it, you can do it too. If you understand that maybe you're frightened of people making fun of you or frightened for your position or the economic impact, understand this. They made that change. Any of us can do that. You see this in three actions in this passage, which we're really going to dig into. They first publicly asked for the body. They publicly ask uh, for the body. Now, why did they have to do that? Why did Joseph have to do that? It's because the other disciples, had they gone uh, to Pilate, when you were crucified, which was a horrible form of Roman capital punishment, the predominant form they used then, several things happened. One, the bodies would be put on those crosses and, and they would be, Eventually, if they didn't die quick enough, their, body, their legs would be broken. And what you actually die of on the crucifixion is not just blood loss, although if it was beaten severely enough, that could be. It's mostly suffocation. When they could no longer push up because their legs had been broken, then they would suffocate. But the bodies were the property of the Roman authorities, Pilate and his officials or his soldiers, and so nobody could do anything with the bodies unless they were given permission. And oftentimes, the bodies were just left there. 
on those hills for the birds and the other creepy crawlies to devour as a deterrent to others bucking the Roman authorities. Those bodies, Jesus' body, if something was going to be done, somebody had to stand up. And we see that. We see this amazing transformation in verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Not Peter, not James, not John, no, they probably would have been listened to anyway. Now, when was this? It was Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. <laughs> you ever tried to get anything done on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock? People are like, close up shop. I'm already at the weekend, right? Especially for Jewish people, there was a time element here. It was what's called the day of preparation. At sundown Friday until sundown Saturday, the Sabbath, they could do no work. That there was nothing going to happen. And Jesus passes away. And Joseph sees what's going on. And he decides not to stay in the shadows anymore. It tells us that, Mark fifteen forty three. We already looked at this verse once. But I want you to see the second half this time. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly. That word actually means with great courage in Greek. With great courage, he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He went because he was well-placed. I don't think it's an accident that he had wealth. He had that political standing. He was seen as a respected leader in the community. So on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, if anybody could get in and talk to Pilate, it would have been a guy like this. But he had to choose to go. He had to choose to step forward. He had to choose to to believe and put himself out there. And so it is for all of us. We've got to choose to step out. We've got to choose to step up. And that's what he does. That's what he does. I think it kind of went something like this. They see that Jesus has died and they see maybe and understand all of his teaching, what it meant that death had to happen, but they're going to take care of this body. Oftentimes those bodies uh, that were on the cross... If they were Jewish, the Jewish leaders would say, even if they were unjustly convicted, they would say they at least deserve a burial. And so they'd take them down and just throw them in a mass grave. But Joseph sees this and he's moved to action. And so I think he probably said to Nicodemus, hey, you go get some cloths, you go get some spices. I'm going to go talk to Pilate. We're going to get this body. And so he publicly asked for the body. Secondly, they prepared the body. They prepared the body. I want you to see how faithful this was. I want you to think for a moment, and I know it's gross, but I want you to think for a moment what that body must have been like. Beaten. Isaiah says, to a form with no human likeness. You ever been driving on the road and seen an animal dead and didn't know what kind of animal it was? Jesus cruelly, inhumanely treated. And not only does Pilate go ask, but Joseph Joseph go ask, Joseph and Nicodemus had to take that body, bloody, 
nasty. They had to take that body and get it ready for burial. Or at least they believed they had to. They had a choice. And they chose in faith to take on this task. And it was no small task. You see, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. You need to understand, myrrh was expensive. Y'all ever priced saffron in the spice aisle? What was it Jesus was brought by the Magi as gifts to a king? It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They take the 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe and they take the cloths and the Jewish burial custom, every culture has its custom. The Egyptians did mummification. Some cultures would do burning on a fire, a pyre of fire. Some would just send the body out to sea. The Jewish burial custom was to take this body and anoint it with these spices and then to wrap it. Anoint, wrap, anoint, wrap. They took this body and they invested hugely. Those spices were expensive. They also got to work because they were very faithful Jewish people. They knew they couldn't do any work in those, after those two and a half hours, three hours from three o'clock to sundown were. They got after it. But not just to bury the body, to give him a royal burial. How amazing that is. How awesome that is. That they would bury his body with honor. That's the third thing they did. They buried the body with honor. Verses 41 and 42, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was a Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. I actually been to Jerusalem. I've seen what they think was the tomb. But you see, that is a new tomb. It's never been used. And they didn't have, like we do, uh, cemeteries where you dig holes down into the ground. They typically, it would be a hillside. And this one, they think, was Jesus' tomb. They, they would take the body, and they, there, in there would be a little bench. And there would be little niches in the wall. And you'd bury the person, you'd, you'd, after preparing them, you'd put them there and you'd roll a stone across the grave uh, so that no scavengers could get in there, so that there could be no mistreatment of the body. Matthew twenty-seven sixty gives us kind of a more insight and placed it, this is Joseph of Arimathea, placed it in what? His own new tomb. So not only had he invested in the spices and the linens, but he also gives him his burial place that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now, here's what happened. The more part of their Jewish burial custom is they would take care of the bodies and put them in there. A year or so later, they would come back and they would take the body. They would unwrap it. And then they would take, it's mostly bones by that time. They would take the bones and place them in what's called an ossuary, a big box, with the bones to hold them in and then place them in the niche, and then they could use the tomb again. Ossuary, kind of like a reliquary, right? So you, you understand that process. Now, Jesus knew he wasn't going to need that, right? He was just leasing that tomb for a couple of days. But Joseph gives him his tomb because he wants to give him a royal burial. I have this question for you. 
Where was Peter? Where was James? Where was John? So oftentimes our fears can keep us from making a difference. Our fears can keep us from saying that word that could lead to another salvation or could better the lives of those around us. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Nothing minuscule or minor was happening here. This sacrifice, this body was given for all of us. It was given for Joseph of Arimathea. It was given for Nicodemus. They understood it. They stepped up. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with this week, this holy week. What will you do with the body? Peter, James, and John know where to be found. Maybe you've realized as I've been talking, you've been afraid of pleasing people more than pleasing God. And there's a chance to change, just like these two changed. No longer were they in the shadows. They were fully invested. They were all in. So you too can be. But here, let me give you specific ways that you can invest in the body. Specific ways that you can honor the body of Christ. First, if you're not a believer, the Bible gives us this beautiful picture. And we see it happen here when somebody's baptized. The Bible says that what happens is you go into the water, the old person is buried in the water. The selfish person, the self-oriented person, the old selfish person is buried in the water. And you rise up Christ-centered. You rise up a new creation in Christ. Secondly, every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Don't you know that Joseph and Nicodemus, they... I can't even imagine what it must have been like for them to meet with the church and for them to come to communion and to hear those words which Jesus first said, Luke twenty two nineteen, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given, or you can understand that broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Imagine as they took that communion and they thought his body broken or given for me and they actually held and wrapped and loved and honored him. I never feel closer to Christ than when I celebrate the Lord's Supper with other believers. And then the body is the term that Jesus gave for what the church would be. It would be the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. If you want to honor the sacrifice, if you want to honor the investment of Jesus for you, one of the best ways you can do that is to take up and fulfill your part in the body. For you to give, for you to invest, for you to serve, for you to love, for you to minister. What? Fathers, we think about these things today. Boy, what...
power there is in this transformation of Joseph and Nicodemus. I'm so grateful they took care of our Lord and his body. I'm so grateful that they stood up and said yes. <laughs> Maybe today you've impressed on us through the word, through your spirit, changes we need to make, areas in which we need to step up and say yes. Maybe it is to become a Christian. Maybe the day of salvation is nigh for some of us. Maybe it is to, to be more meditative, more invested in communion every Sunday as we take it. Maybe it is to step up and to not be afraid of people's opinions, but to first put your opinion on our radar. First, please you with the decisions, with the life that we live. I pray today, Lord, you've spoke to us. I pray we'll respond in Jesus' name.